welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, hello, River Valley Church. How are you feeling today? It is such an honor to be able to be with you here tonight at the Apple Valley campus and to broadcast as a whole. And uh, Pastor Rob has asked me to preach tonight. And how many of you are ready to receive from God this evening? Amen. How many of you are ready to walk out of here different from the way that you walked in because God is a transforming God, right? Well, today I am excited. My name is Terry Parkman. I do serve as the next-gen pastor here at River Valley Church. And how many of you guys know you have amazing next-gen pastors, kids pastors, youth pastors here at our church? Come on. I believe this next generation is an amazing generation. You know, research says that this generation is the most entrepreneurial generation in history. They're the most ethnically diverse generation in history. They're the most innovative generation in history. And if I could say they're the best looking generation in history. There's no awkward stage. Like today they got braces you can't see. Back in my day we had braces that wrapped around our face. You guys have those senior pictures. You know what I'm talking about. And as I get a chance to connect with next-gen leaders and the next generation all over the country, I I hear this question always come up. This question is this, Terry, when are we going to go back to normal in life? When is everything going to settle down? When will I know it's okay to step forward with the call of God in my life? You know, we go through a lot of things, and church, I believe this is a word for us today. We go, have gone through a lot of things as a, as a world, as a community, as a church the last couple years. And all of us have heard about it. I know ad and marketing agencies have really used uh, the pandemic and everything that has gone on to really, um, to really uh, push their revenues forward. But I believe that God has another plan, and I believe that God is in the midst of doing a new thing in his church today. Amen? You know, it's like a tsunami wave. You know, whenever a tsunami wave starts to begin, it starts to gather water, and you know it's coming because water starts to recede from the shoreline. And as water recedes from the shoreline, you begin to see all the things that were left on the seabed floor, all the ugly stuff. Sometimes there might be a swimsuit down there or goggles down there or or garbage down there on the seabed floor. And what has happened over these last couple years is the water line has receded and God has begun to expose some things in the world, right? And many of us, we take our phones and the world is taking their cameras and they're like, oh. And they started to point those things at the seabed floor. They begin to point their things at the ugly things in the world, all the while not realizing that God is ready to bring in a wave of revival into his church, into this city, into this world. And I am passionate about catching that wave. I don't want to be so focused on the ugly that I miss out on the move of God. I want to turn my surfboard the right way. I act like I surf. I don't surf. But if I did, I would want to turn my surfboard the right way so I don't get wiped out by this revival because every time God exposes something, right, Jesus is coming back for a spotless bride. That means he's going to get his spots out. And yes, he's doing that. He's doing it out of faithfulness because he wants to bring in a move of God. And I want to say, God, I want to be ready. I want to be positioned to catch this move that you have. God is doing a new thing. I love that we sang it earlier because in Isaiah 43, chapter 19, it says this, for I am about to do a brand new thing. In the Greek, it means brand new thing. In Hebrew, it means brand new thing. God is about to do a brand new thing. 
See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Many times when we hear from God that God is about to do a new thing, we try to compare it to our best yesterday. Many of us, when we say, God, I'm ready for you to do a new thing, we look at the best version of yesterday, multiply it times 10, give it an upgrade, and say that's the new thing. But when God speaks of doing a new thing amongst his church, when God speaks a new thing about doing a new thing amongst his people or in you specifically, he isn't looking at your yesterday. You're not going to be able to compare yourself to where other people have been because other people have never been where you're about to go, church. I need to say that again. We can't compare ourselves to where other people have been and where we have been as a society or as a church. You can't compare yourself to yesterday because yesterday has never been where you're about to go. When it means that God is going to do a new thing, get ready for something that you have never seen before. I don't know why you're in this as a believer, but I'm in it to see God move in our world. I didn't become a believer just to sit quietly and exist and breathe to death. I want to see God bring change and transformation, raise the dead back to life, bring sick people and make them healed, and see his glory move forward. I am so invested in this and seeing it in the next generation, but not only there generally, but in your lives specifically. I believe in moving forward, and I believe that God is letting it happen now. But I believe for many of us, we are hung up in one of three places, and I believe there's no story in the Bible that exemplifies potential hang-ups in our life when it comes to moving forward, like the story of Elijah and Elisha. All right, I don't know why their names had to be so close, but follow me. Elijah and Elisha. Here's the thing. Elijah was a prophet. Elisha was the apprentice. He was the intern. And the thing that we have here today is we have a changing of generations. We have generational, generational change taking place between Elijah and Elisha. The, the tide has turned. Things will never be the same after Elijah is taken from the world and Elisha is going to step up. And we are right in the midst of something like that today, church, where things are changing, where the tide is turning, where God is in the midst of it, where God is on the move. And when God says, I want you to come with me, church, I want to make sure that I am moving forward. So before we go any further, it's only appropriate that we pray about this today. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, God, that we have the unique opportunity to sit before you tonight. That we have the unique opportunity to say, Lord, use me, change me, work in me. Far be it from us, God, to walk into your presence and leave unchanged. Our hearts are open. Our minds are ready. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. In Israel's history, Elijah was considered one of the greatest prophets ever. He's one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. I mean, he was the prophet. And nobody was on the horizon that would ever come close to his level of godliness. I mean, this man did a total of seven major miracles in his life. If it happened today, it would be the most viral video on the internet, and his life was defined by stepping forward in the plan of God. He prayed and he caused the heavens to close so that it wouldn't rain until he said so. He resurrected a widow's son. He called down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice to prove that God is the one true God. He outran horses and chariots on foot. That's what I want to do, all right? I don't know what miracle you want to do. Some people want to raise the dead. I just want to get going with a horse, right? That's what I want to do. He took a cloak, he struck the water, and it parted the Jordan River, and he didn't even die. He went up in a whirlwind. 
So with nobody on the horizon, after Elijah was gone, everybody thought it was all downhill from here. Nobody after him. And in the meantime, he takes on this apprentice, this intern named Elisha. And Elisha's job was to carry his bags, to cook his meals, to wash his clothes, to get his Starbucks, to call his Uber, to do all those things. That was Elisha's job. And towards the end of Elijah's time on earth, God said, Elijah, look, I love you a lot. And you're taking way too long to die, so I'm going to take you to heaven right now. That's what he said. He goes, look, you, you, I don't know if, you're taking the, if you have those essential oils going or you're eating all natural food, all organic, but you are living way too long. And we have too many good conversations. You need to come up here right now. So he planned on taking Elijah to heaven alive. And he knows this. And so he goes, meet me on the other side of the Jordan River. So Elijah turns to Elisha and he says, Elisha, God told me to go do something. You stay here. Elisha is like, I have not cooked your meals and washed your clothes for me to stay here. I know what God is doing. I'm going with you. They go to the first town, and this group of people called the Sons of the Prophets, it's just another internship program, they come out, and they're picking up on what God is doing too. And they say, Elisha, don't you know that your master's going to be taken from you on this day? And Elisha is like, man, I know, you need to be quiet. He doesn't know I know. And this happens three times. Finally, they get to the Jordan River. Elijah takes off his cloak. He hits the Jordan River. They walk through on dry ground. And exasperated, Elijah turns to Elisha, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And we see this here in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. And it says this. It says, when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I could do for you before I'm taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. He wanted to be twice what Elijah was. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. But if you see me when I'm taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. So as they're walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses on fire, and it drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven, the most gangster way to go to heaven in all of history. (laughs) Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel, I see it. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Then he walks over and picks up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. Then Elisha returns to the bank of the Jordan River, and he struck the water with Elijah's cloak, and he cries out, Where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the river divides, and Elisha goes across. Elijah asks an all-important question. What do you want me to do for you? And I believe it's a question that God is asking us here tonight. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I love that Elisha didn't sheepishly say, well, gee, sir, I like you. You're just a giant of the faith. If I could just be a smidgen of what you are, if I could just be a little bit, if I could just be known as somebody who followed close to you and washed your clothes. Many of us, when we come into the presence of God, we beg for crumbs from the bread of life. Many of us, we say, oh, gee, Lord, if I could just have a taste, a little taste of what you have for me. Imagine with me, if you will, your mom bakes you your favorite cookies of all time. And she puts them in a jar. But this jar is a jar blessed by God because this jar of cookies never runs out. It never has calories. You could eat as many as you want. It is a blessed jar from the Lord, right? And she's like, the Lord has given me this jar. I have put all your cookies in it. You could eat as many as you want. You won't get full. You won't gain weight. In fact, you'll get in shape. Here, take these cookies. 
It's unlimited. You're all over it, right? And so you say, Mom, Mom, can I, can I just have a taste of a cookie? And she's like, kid, I just get, I'm here. Take the jar. But Mom, can I just, can you break me off a little slice of a little crumb of a cookie? Kid, what's the matter with you? Take the jar. Mom, can I lick a cookie? Can I do something? And she's like, what's wrong with you? It's freely given. Many times God comes to us with all of his blessings and he hands them out to us. And we say, but God, can, can I have a taste? And God's like, you can have the whole thing. And we say, but God, I only want a taste. So when we come to God with our hands open like this, we receive this. And then we leave and we say, well, I don't know why God didn't bless me. But what if God wants to bless you with every blessing under heaven? And it's not that he's not trying to bless us. It's that we walk in a church like this. I love that Elisha didn't do that. I also love that Elisha didn't compare himself to Elijah. If we're going to move forward and catch the wave of God, we got to kill comparison in our life. I mean, if you can compare yourself to anything, it's what you see on social media. It's as you scroll. I mean, even research says after 20 minutes on social media, every five minutes after takes you a level deeper into depression. Like nobody walks away from social media saying, I feel edified, better, and ready to take on the world. Nobody ever has said that. But we got to kill comparison. We got to be willing to move forward. I mean, this is a generation that says that we want to rewrite our story, that we want to live our destinies, that we want to blaze our own trails. So what do we do? We go on social media and we compare. I'm here to tell you today to stop comparing. Church, let's stop comparing. Why? Because you were not created in the image of other people. You were not created in the image of a celebrity or an influencer. You were not created in the image of a church-famous celebrity on a platform or a worship team. You were created in the image of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, so let's stop comparing today. God is about to do a big thing, and Elisha knows this. He sees that, man, this is my moment. I, I'm not going to ask for nothing. I'm going to ask for double. He says, what you have isn't enough for me. I want to be twice what you are. I want a double share of your spirit. And this isn't an asking that comes as a result of entitlement in Elisha's life. He isn't like, well, I washed your clothes and I called your Uber. I deserve this. This isn't an I deserve mentality. This is a divine revelation of his time with God realizing who he needs to be. And it doesn't look like Elijah. It looks like what God has in store for him. And it's double what Elijah has. Many of us are taking cues from other believers in the world, trying to model our lives after them. When God didn't give us their calling, he gave them their calling. And I love that he steps up, and he knows what he's worth, and he's ready to catch a wave of what God wants to do in Israel. And he says, I want double. But before Elijah is taken to heaven, he says, look, if you see me, if you see this take place, then you will know that God has granted your request then you will know that God has granted your request. And heaven invades earth in that moment. Chariots of fire come from heaven and scoop up Elijah as it carries him up into the sky in a whirlwind of fire. And Elijah's cloak comes floating down and lands right in front of Elisha. You see, you might be in this first group that is stuck in a game of comparison, that is in this place where you aren't moving forward because you are asking God for a smidgen, a crumb of what he has for you, trying to live off the best yesterdays rather than stepping into the new things that God has. You might be in that lane, but others of you might be like, no, I'm asking God for all of it. I don't want a crumb. I want the whole buffet of the marriage supper of the lamb. Like, I want, I want all of it. I'm not stuck there. There's other places I'm stuck. Well, you might be in the second group. Because as he's saying this, and as Elijah is being taken into heaven, his cloak comes down, and it lands in front of Elisha. 
Everything that Elisha has ever wanted was right there, and this is why. In Bible times, you were known, you were known for who you were by the cloak that you wore. Beggars were given a beggar's cloak. Lepers had to wear a certain kind of cloak that looked a certain way that signified to people on sight what you were and authority that you carried. And prophets had a prophet's cloak. So when Elijah's being taken to heaven, you don't need to be a prophet in heaven, I guess. His cloak comes down, and it lands right in front of Elisha, and there it is. It's his. And if he picked up that cloak and he put it over his shoulders, he couldn't go back to being an apprentice 2.0. He couldn't go back to being an intern from yesterday. He had to step up as the man that God had created him to be. Here he is, about to do it, and he's been running in his mouth. I want to be double what you are. And God's like, all right, do it. I mean, has that ever happened to you where you're like, God, I want you to use me to change the world. God, I want you to use me to speak life into people. God, do it. And God says, okay, go. And you're like, oh, oh, now? I need to text my pastor for some confirmation. I need to figure this out. Oh, now it's like you're at Walmart at 11 p.m. getting toilet paper, and God's like, go talk to that lady. You're like, what? Come on. But it's in that moment to where you have to put your money, money where your mouth is. You have to be willing to step forward and take hold of what God has. And many of us, we know what is coming to us, but that life change, picking up that cloak and putting it over our shoulders is going to demand a change in our behaviors, a change in the way we move, a change in our devotion, a change in our direction. And many of us aren't ready for that change. We want it. We know we need it. We know it's coming to us, but we're afraid of that. Look, with this wave is going to come in. I have to not only say, God, I know what you have coming to me, but I'm willing to take hold of it. I'm willing to take hold of it. Because it's unless you put on that cloak, you will instead forever be talking about what you could have been to other people and to God without really stepping forward into what God has given you plenty of. And that is the full calling and the full inheritance and the full ownership of what he has called and what he has created you to be. And he had to step forward. Many of us say, you know what, I believe God has a call on my life. But look, belief is no substitute for obedience. Belief is no substitute for obedience. Yo, I can believe that God has something great on my life, but I have to be willing to step up and be obedient in that belief. I have to have an outward working of that. I have to step forward because that's the faith part that is required. It says in James 2.17 that faith without action is dead. I could have faith all day, but unless I move according to that faith, it doesn't matter. You might be in that first group and you might say, Terry, you're right. I've been asking for less and acting like I don't deserve what God has coming to me. Or you might say, you know what, I got the first one, but I'm in the second one because God has called me many times to step forward and be part of the 500 and and go out and be a missionary or even go on a global team or step out and even serve in church. And I've been talking about it, but there it is, and I just can't get myself to step over that line. But you might have those first two nailed down. You might have already said, God, thank you. I have a full revelation of what you have for me. You might even be able to articulate it. You may have put that over your shoulders and stepped forward into that calling. But we have to move forward, like I said, by faith. And that's what Elisha did. That's what he did. He moved forward by faith. He moved up and he went to the Jordan River and he struck that water with the cloak. Now, he could have put on the cloak. And keep in mind, he wasn't the only one there that day. Everybody knew what was about to happen to Elijah. Elijah. And so everybody was on the other side of the Jordan River seeing this take place, scholars say. 
And so he, they're seeing this. They're seeing him put on the cloak. He could have looked for a bridge upstream. He could have said, you know what? I got it, guys. You saw that? You saw that? All right, I'll see you in like uh, two days. I'm going to go catch this bridge over here, and I'm going to cross. And he could have worn the calling. He could have worn the cloak. He could have moved in the full anointing God had for him without ever using it once. And I never want to find myself in that place, having been fully equipped by God, having been fully prepared by him, only to wear the cloak and forget the reason why I'm wearing it. That is a, that is a church that becomes ineffective in the world around it. As I wrap up here tonight, I want to challenge you to find yourself in one of these three groups. You may be struggling with that first step and saying, I don't know what, I know what God's called me to, but I'm not willing to own it. You might be in the second group saying, ah, you know, I know what God's called me to, but if I do this, it changes everything about me, and I don't know if I'm ready to let go of my yesterdays. Or you might be in the third group saying, you know what, I've convinced everybody that I'm called. I convinced everybody that I'm somebody that God wants to use, but I still haven't stepped out in faith. The Bible says that he took the cloak that had fallen from him and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. I love that moment. I love that moment because you have to understand when you get a full revelation of what God wants you to do, when you fully own that person that God wants you to be, the very next step that you're going to take is going to be a step of faith. It's going to be a step of faith. It's going to be a step that requires God to show up fully in your life in a way that you cannot accomplish in your own ability. It's going to be a step of faith. And I believe that today, you or many of you are in that place where the world around you that is about to change is waiting on that step of faith from you. And I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to call out things because some people are going to say, Pastor Terry told me to quit my job. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is hear from God what that step of faith is. Many of us, we say, God, what do you want me to do? And he tells us, and we're like, can you give me something else? Can you, can you give me that? That might seem a little easier. That might seem a little bit more possible. But God, when he gives us a vision, when he gives us a calling, when he gives us ownership, when he gives us anointing, is not asking us to manage risk. He's asking us to step out by faith. And that's the next step we have to take. And maybe that's the thing that unlocks blessing and salvation, not only for us, but for our families and for our cities and for our workplaces and for our schools and for this world. What would happen if we got a hold of that and move forward in what God has? All we have to do is be willing to do what we said in a few series earlier is ask, seek, and pray. Ask, seek, and pray. Ask, seek, and pray. That's what God wants us to do as we move forward. Ask, seek, and pray because he's about to do a new thing. I love how the Bible says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Many of us, we get a calling from God. We know what we're supposed to do. So we go to prayer like this. Jesus? Hello? Oh, Jesus didn't answer the door, guys. I don't know. I went to prayer. He didn't answer. No. If you get a view of what God has for you and you can take full ownership and you're ready to step in faith, you go, Lord, hey, God, I'm not moving today. I ain't going anywhere until you open this door for me. I see it. I'm wearing it. I'm ready to move. Oh, God, give it to me. I'm ready. I'm ready to move. And the reason Jesus asks us to keep asking, keep seeking, seeking and keep praying is because the more we ask, the more we seek, the more we pray, the more our actions align with God's will. 
And the Bible says, if you ask, God, Jesus says, if you ask anything according to my will, it shall be done. So God, give me a Lamborghini Diablo. No, that's probably not God's will. Probably not gonna happen. Some of you are like, God, give me a date. Probably not gonna happen, let's be honest. But what if we did this? God, I pray that you just bless me with millions of dollars because I got an eye on a private island. All right, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. God, I pray that you bless me financially because I believe that there are people in need. You're closer. Keep knocking, though, because you're going to hear from God's will the more you knock and the, no, the more you ask and the more you seek and the more you pray. God, I pray that you bless me financially because I have a full vision of what you have for me. And I believe I could leverage these funds for the kingdom of God and I could see the 500 accomplish the goal faster. Boom. God's like, there you go. Because you kept asking and you kept seeking and you kept praying and you kept knocking and you got a revelation of what God had. And you're willing to step out in the fullness of what God had for you. Today, you might be in one of those three places. You might be in the place to where you need to say, God, forgive me for asking for less than what you have for me. Forgive me. Forgive me for managing what you could do and doubting it with my prayers. Lord, forgive me. I'm ready to get a full revelation of what you have for me. You might be in group two today where you say, oh, you're telling me to move. You're telling me to allow this calling and this vision that you have for my life to change me and change the way I move and I have to be willing to cut ties with my past to fully embrace what you want me to be. You might be in group two, but you might be in group three that has to say, you know what? It's not about a cloak. It's not about just wearing a, a cloak over my shoulders to show people, look, it's not a fashion show. Power doesn't need position. Anointing doesn't need to be announced. Influence doesn't need a platform. Let's not spend our lives just chasing a cloak. Let's spend our lives chasing a kingdom. And you might be in that place today saying, you know what? This doesn't define me. My movement forward in faith defines me in the kingdom of God. And my only answer that I could give you today, God, is yes. So Elisha, he got it. He got the double anointing. He got the cloak. He stepped forward in faith and all of his peers saw it as he moved forward and he stepped into that space. He went from fetching the water to parting the water. He went from listening to the prophet to becoming the prophet. He got what he asked for. Elijah performed seven major miracles. And Elisha, before he died, performed 13. And you might be like, Terry, I, I don't know what kind of math you took in like 1982, but like this, this isn't it. Because double seven is not 13. Listen to this. Elisha dies having performed 13 major miracles in his life, fully moving in the calling of God, wearing that cloak and, and stepping out in faith. And he dies having performed 13 major miracles. He's buried, he's put in the tomb. It's a long time. Fast forward a couple decades ahead and there's a battle that's going on outside of Elisha's tomb. And somebody gets shot with an arrow and they die. And his buddies are like, what do we do with Bill? I don't know. What do we do with Bill? Look, there's a tomb. Let's throw him in here. We'll come back for him after this is done. Cool. So they roll aside the stone. They throw him in there and his body lands on the bones of Elisha and immediately that dead man springs back up to life. Miracle number 14. Church, how many of you know that when you're faithful, your legacy will last long beyond your breath on this planet? God is calling you, not just for you, but because he has a plan for somebody yet to come. And isn't that the heartbeat of River Valley Church? It's not just about us, but it's for those who are not yet here. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my influence. It's not about my anointing. It's about my obedience to God because somebody else depends on it. 
Somebody else depends on it. Somebody else depends on me operating by faith and stepping forward in the name of Jesus Christ and doing all that he has called and created me to do. And I refuse to live doing anything less on this planet. Church, how many of you are with me in this place today? Come on. Look, you might be in that season of ordinary like Elisha was in for a long time. But it was preparation for God's season of extraordinary. And I know that sounds cliche, but when you see it happen in the word of God and you get a chance to live it, you start to believe the things that God says.